Why not come home for Christmas? The terminals, bus depots are jammed. People heading home for Christmas. In fact, I noticed in yesterday's union the picture of Judy Buntain <laughs> from our fellowship sitting asleep at the airport with her daughter waiting for a flight to Tacoma where they're celebrating with the Buntain family. And that is repeated many times over for several days as people try to get home for Christmas. Joy, laughter, food, fun, and fellowship await many of us and many others around the world. But what is Christmas really about? That's the question of this hour. We can miss God's meaning of Christmas as well as God's will for our life by not paying attention to what is really happening. I think it was summed up in as good a way as I've ever seen in a parable told by Velma Sykes. This is what she wrote. Listen. The stable boy had finished work that day, had filled the manger with new fragrant hay, had fed the beasts and usually would sleep, snuggled for warmth among the placid sheep. But not tonight. For he'd conceived a plan to join a merchant's camel caravan and travel to far places. He had heard exciting tales of cities which had stirred his longing for adventure. He would go where happenings. His friends would know why he had gone. He had often said to them, Oh, nothing happens here in Bethlehem. He looked back once before they traveled far and wondered vaguely why that brilliant star. End of parable. Think about it with me. A stable boy, but looking afar for adventure and fulfillment, set upon a plan, his own, and when starting out with some of his fellow travelers, he looked back once and wondered why that brilliant star over where he worked, he missed it all. By wanting his own way, and seeking his own adventure. I want you to look at Matthew 2 with me because there are three things that stand out to me in these few verses that two are warnings and one is the strong suggestion of the Holy Spirit at Christmas for all of us. Follow with me, if you will, in order to be home for Christmas. Number one, there was hostility and hatred at that first Christmas time. Verse 3 says, when Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Hatred, jealousy, animosity, 
Herod the king, Herod the great, as he was known. Why was he called Herod the great? He had served through four decades. He had become a mighty ruler and was known for building the temple and many other things during his reign. But through the years, power corrupted him, as power often does. And when he heard news of another king being born, his only thought was extermination. Get rid of him. It was well known that Herod had already had his own wife killed. It was well known that his mother, Alexandria, had been killed by her son, Herod the Great. His oldest son had been killed by his father, as well as two other sons, Alexander and Aristobulus. He was called by this time a murderous old man. It is known through history that Augustus, the Roman emperor, once said that it was more safe to be Herod's pig than Herod's son. That was the kind of man he was. Now listen to this. Approaching his death, Herod had a group of elite citizens of Jerusalem arrested and put in prison, and men were given orders that the moment Herod died, those elite citizens were to be killed so that some tears would be shed when Herod died. You talk about animosity. You talk about hatred. But is it really different than today? I have never seen in my lifetime such an outpouring of animosity toward Christ as I'm seeing today. Letters that come, editorials in the paper, edicts that are passed out to us. Let's get rid of prayer. Let's get rid of in God we trust. Let's get rid of semblances of this Christ. It's hard to do because our calendar is divided by B.C. before Christ and A.D. after divinity. It's hard to get rid of him when he lives within the hearts of so many. But there are Herods everywhere who hate him and what he stands for and would like to erase or eradicate any semblance of the Christ. And it causes them to do some strange things just as it caused Herod long ago. I trust and pray that that is not your spirit or your attitude as we come to Christmas, but it is for many animosity and hatred. The second thing I notice is indifference. This perhaps strikes many more of us than the first. 
Notice from verse 4 through 6. And when he, speaking of Herod, had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now these were the spiritual leaders. The only thing they did was answer the inquiry of the king, probably out of fear. No time to be distracted by the possibility that the Savior for whom they had been looking had been born. Too busy with the routine of their lives. To travel to Bethlehem where they should have been if they had known the scriptures, as they're now relating to the king, why weren't they in Bethlehem where he was to be born? One reason, indifference, not caring. They had authority and they had power. Also, they were engaged in the routine of religious service. Even that can lull us to sleep. You see, God gives us pastors to wake us up. You see, one of my callings is not only to bring comfort to the distressed, but it's to disrupt the comfortable. And at Christmas, I feel that responsibility so greatly. Because through the years we develop habits and many times those habits do not lead us to the Christ. They lead us to a tree or a dinner or three or five or ten. They lead us to festive gatherings and not to the cradle or to the manger. I want this Christmas to lead you to the manger to where Christ is. I have people tell me every year, and I just try to encourage you not to do it because it doesn't set well with me. They say, well, Pastor, I'd really love to be there on Christmas Eve, but we have family things. Don't tell me that. I do too. But they're not till after I come to where Jesus is. He is the one to be celebrated. And I want to be with him. I want to sing those carols. I want to bow before him. The planning for everything else does not come before that trip to Bethlehem. It comes after. Indifference can rob us of everything God meant this season to be. Don't get wrapped up in the tinsel and the lights and all of the rest and miss Jesus. The scribes and the high priests missed him even though they knew about him and about where he would be born. Now friends, I don't know how many more Christmases we're going to have to shake loose from our indifference. I believe God's prophetic clock is ticking down to the midnight hour. 
We need to really celebrate Him this year so that all the world will know we love Him. That was made real when I got a letter this week from one of our missionaries, Scott Smith. He wrote, things are happening fast here in Europe. Mrs. Thatcher resigned last month. She was the only head of state that was opposed to the single European monetary unit that is planned for 1992. Marissa and I were both down this morning to the government office that is in charge of issuing the fiscal identity number that is mandatory for all people living in Spain. We will not be able, listen, we will not be able to buy or sell or have a bank account or do any financial transaction of any kind when the system is all in place. The threat of not getting the number is great. They will confiscate the balance in your bank account, not allow you to make any deposits or withdrawals, and fine you if you do not have this number. Marissa says that when it is time to go and get it tattooed on our right hand or forehead, we will begin our fast. In talking to a lady from France and Jimmy Zachariou, our missionary in Greece, both of them told me that this same system is now being implemented in their countries. I was sure that it would be a European policy. Spain will be part of the common market as a full member in 1992. And I knew that they would not be making such a radical and broad economic policy on their own. And then Scott added at the end of his letter, look up, our redemption draws nigh. Well, if you don't understand any of that, read the book of Revelation, particularly the last few chapters where it talks about a antichrist, 666, the mark of a man, and that to buy or to sell, anybody must have a mark on his hand or on his forehead. Ladies and gentlemen, it is going into place now in certain parts of our world. And it's all precluding the revelation of Jesus Christ to men. I think we ought to celebrate this year and shake loose from our indifference. Emmanuel, God is with us. Make it known. Make it known. Now there's one last thing in this passage, and that is in verse 11. When they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him and brought him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now that's the step that I have wanted to lead you to. Worship. What can we do? Worship him. Give him the best gift of all, your life. I have been at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem numbers of times, the last time just in June with one wonderful group of folk. And every time I go, I love to just stand up by the wall and observe the Jewish people at the wall, praying. What are they praying? Come, Messiah. I see them with tears streaming down their cheeks. Come, Messiah. I see them in their prayers and their bobbings up and down and in their readings. Come, Messiah. I have always wanted to stand there and shout, He has come. But if I did, they'd probably shoot me. He has come. And He's coming again for those 
who come home for Christmas. Like the prodigal came home in Luke 15 to the father. Are you home for Christmas? I mean, really home is Jesus in your heart. If you miss that, you've missed it all. You have missed it all. You see, he came to be in us. He came to dwell in human life. And human life has the capacity to receive and express the divine life. That's what Christmas is all about. If you've never responded before, why not receive God's gift to you this Christmas? Come home for Christmas. I went out shopping for about an hour yesterday. It's about all I could handle. But I move fast. Doesn't take me long to make up my mind. And I observed those many people dropping large sums of money on the counter for things that I knew would be gone and wasted in a short period of time. And my heart ached, wondering how many of them really knew what Christmas was all about. Trying to buy a little happiness which will only pass away in a brief period. I want to ask you today, what is your attitude about Christmas? Is it anger? Is it indifference? Or is it worship? If you don't get one gift wrapped in a package, will you still know that you have the greatest gift that you could ever receive, the gift of salvation through Christ who was born? Have you come home? to the one who was sent by God in love to redeem us and buy us back. I pray that all who hear me today will be home for Christmas. I mean all the way home to Father's house. That there will be no anger and animosity, no indifference, but only hearts filled with worship wanting to offer to him the gift of our life. How pleased he will be if we can do that in our celebration. Oh, come let us adore. Stand. Oh, come let us
Now before this service ends and before we sing, we'll give him all the glory. I want to make this as personal as I can in a large gathering like this. I want to ask you as though we were sitting together in a room. Do you know Jesus personally? Is he your savior? Is he more than a figure of history to you? Is he your personal savior? Have you invited him into your heart? Is he living there today? And are you ready to meet him? Should his coming be today? That's what's important in this moment. Come home for Christmas. And if you need to come home as we sing again, I want you to come from wherever you stand unashamedly down to the front where I can pray with you. Where we can together say, Jesus Christ, I open my heart to you. Everyone Jesus called, he called publicly when he was here. There was no such thing as a secret believer. It's all open and out in front. So I want you to come. Men, women, boys or girls, just step out and say, Pastor Cole, I know I need him and what a gift he is. And I receive him. Make that a public act on your part. I'm going to ask our staff to stand here and welcome you as you come. Please do it. Step out into, the, into an aisle, upstairs, down these stairs. Be here. Let us pray together and let's make this a day of days as we come home for Christmas.